This morning, I, I just want to share some thoughts that, that God has given me. And the two thoughts that he's been giving me personally, they have to do with this scripture here. And we'll just read in Second Peter. In Second Peter 1, verse 19, it says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. We have a more sure word. Whereunto we, all of us, you, each one in Christ, will do well that you take heed. As unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And what that's teaching and what God has been revealing to me is the two things that he's had me involved with in his counsel to me personally are the light and knowledge and oneness and identification of Christ with me and with all of us in his intercessory uh, session is he is with us in all of our groanings and all of our sufferings and in a very personal way, in a very, very deep and intimate and personal way, meaning he is involved in every single aspect of our life. In other words, okay, so for instance, the things that we went through that were a result of sin, he dealt with because in the fact that he dealt with all of our sins, in, in, the, in that fact that he on Calvary was groaning and suffering on account of them to obviously propitiate God the Father, but then to become our substitute. And a substitute, it means so much. A substitute means, obviously, that Christ not only died for us, but he died as us in our place. But also, substitute means that even when we groan and go through things now, he's our substitute. We can think with him. That's why the Bible always says in, in, in our learning, now, we can learn in the suffering of sin and groaning, things when we fail. We can learn in that sense. And we can also learn to run quickly to our substitute. And even then, even in this sense, when he intercedes for us in heaven, and that's brought out in Romans 8, verse 34, in Hebrews 7, verse 25, and in Hebrews 9, verse 26, he is interceding for us. That's what he's doing right now. And, he, and our, our, the groans that we have when we groan as a result of our sin, we realize when the light dawns that, that Christ has taken place of that. He's dealt with it. And he brings us to himself. So that instead of when we confess our sins in verse John 1, 9, instead of being overwhelmed with what our sins caused, we can be overwhelmed with him as the light, as our substitute. So we substitute all of that condemnation and that guilt for Christ himself. That goes into even his intercession. That goes even into his, his groaning. So when Christ was on Calvary, he groaned and sighed and suffered like no human being ever did because he took all of ours as a result, listen, as a result of all the failures of our sins that would cause us to groan and to sigh and to cry out 
but also even in the positive sense of going through growth. Because in growth, in 2 Peter 3, uh, verse 18, when we grow, we grow in grace and knowledge. And even then, there's, there's a groaning or a longing, more of a longing to grow and a longing and a groaning for more intimacy. And even that, he's interceding for us as our substitute because he's propitiated uh, the Father. So when it says that, that we have a more sure word of prophecy, in my own life and in all of our own lives, he is, he's teaching us through groanings. We're learning through groanings about sin and about who we are in Christ, about sin, of what Christ has dealt with, and about who he is with us as he goes with us through these groanings on our way, because now, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, in the A part, for now we see through a glass darkly, but he's with us. Then face to face. Finally, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, where we're with him face to face, There'll be no more, in Revelations 21, verse 4, there'll be no more crying, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. And then we'll see that even through all those groanings and those cryings out, the Psalms are filled with people that groaned and cried out to him for a multitude, obviously, of different things. Some, a lot of times it was because of their sins. And we'll see that this morning. For instance, in Exodus 2 and verse 23, when Israel was in the bondage of Egypt for over 400 years, and we understand we've been taught the types, Egypt, the world system, Pharaoh, the hard taskmaster and the, and, and the type of Satan, who would be a, a very hard taskmaster. In other words, you have to do a task. So when Satan, for the Christian, masters us, and we get away from the fact that Christ is our life, he puts something on us like we have to do something, even about our failures and about our sins. And fact of the matter is, thank God that in John 19, 30, the work is finished because Jesus Christ in John 4 and verse 34, his whole life was to fulfill the will of the Father and to finish the work. And there was tremendous groaning crying out to God and suffering of Christ as he, as he was passing through his life on the way to the height of that groaning and suffering on Calvary. So this is what it means. So in this sense, this is what God has been counseling me and teaching me and all of us about our groans as we groan. He is groaning with us and he's for us in Romans 8, 31 to 39. He's for us. And uh, he doesn't know us after the groans that we have as a result of sins. He knows us in the groans of how deeply we desire him. Because if we have a godly desire in Psalm 37 and verse 4, it's because we first delighted in him. We first had to see that there was nothing really to delight in in the old or in the flesh. But now we delight in him. When we do, he gives us proper desires of our heart. Then, at Psalm 37, 4, then we roll all of our care upon him, all of it. We commit our way unto him. We do. In our way on this path of light in Proverbs 4 and verse 14, that grows brighter and brighter until the day when we're in his presence. 
on that path, there's going to be groanings. In both cases, as a failure of sin, but as, as a desire, groaning desire for him in deep intimacy so that finally there'll be no more interruption or disturbance between this intimate love exchange that we'll have with Christ. And we're on our way and we will have that in all eternity. That's why in Romans 8, verse 17, uh, 18, it says, for I reckon that the sufferings, and that sufferings, there's a lot of groaning that goes on, a lot of groaning, that the sufferings of this present time won't even be worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us and all over us and around us. And so that's what it is. So while we're on this earth, and we're in prophecy. Prophecy here has to do with the earth. Prophecy has to do with God judging the earth. In other words, we are in, Jesus said in John 17 and verse 14, Jesus said that he, while he was in, he, in the world, he wasn't of it. Now, being in the world meant that he was on the earth, the physical earth, but at this time, even up till now, even now, it's the prince and power of the air in, in Ephesians 2.2. It's the God, the, the God of this world in John 12.31 and 14.30. And what Jesus was saying is, I am in this world. There's going to be groanings and sufferings, of course, that only he could have. That's what he was telling Peter. In John 13, 36, where I'm going right now, you can't come. Because you can't do anything about your own groanings and sufferings. I'm going to go to Calvary. And I'm going to deal with them. And then you will come. <laughs> then you'll come. Then you can have fellowship with me. Then you'll experience this. But the whole time that Jesus was on the earth, and is the earth the Lord's in the fullness and all that dwelled? In that, in that sense, in Psalm 24 and verse 1, yes. But is this world system right now of him? And the answer is no. The answer is no. Now, because of that, here we are as Christ on, on this earth right now, but our position is heavenly. But still on the earth, the earth and the whole world system is working towards the finality of judgment. And does that have an effect on us? Is those that are his? Yes. Yes. When we see suffering and wars and what people go through all over the, all over the world, all over the earth, what they go through? Yes. But we have a more sure word of prophecy. The sureness of it is, is that Christ is dealing with everything. He's already dealt with everything about you and I. He already has. So now in Exodus 2 and verse 23, it said that they're groaning, they were travailing and groaning under Pharaoh in Egypt. Then it says their groaning and their cries went up to God by reason of that. And that's Exodus 2, 23 and 24. But what it's saying there, even in their case, is they weren't groaning as a result of sadness and sorrow for their sins. They were just groaning on a consequence of, as, as a consequence of them. But he still came down. And that's what the word Yahweh means. I come down, his name Yahweh. 
Y-A-H-W-E-H, uh, and many say Je uh, Jehovah, and they're just, they're, con they're just vowels set in consonants to make it to be Jehovah. The fact of the matter is, is, that, is his name is I hear and I have come down. And did he ever hear and come down more in answer to us than giving us his son? And that's what John 3 verse 27 says. Can a man receive anything except it come from heaven? And that's where Jesus came in John. He came uh, and never left deity in John 1, 1 and 2, but, but the word was made flesh in John 1 verse 14 and dwelt among us. And that's why in this growing process of learning and, and growth in grace in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, in this learning process, we, we see in John 3.30 that he must increase. Now, he's already increased in our position when as soon as we received him, we were positioned or placed in him. We have this great increase. But for us to experience it, there's going to be groaning for sins and groaning for a desire for him. There's going to be that. So he must increase. Where does he want to increase? Right now in our experience. But I must what? Decrease. And so he, this is the separating, sanctifying process of growth and grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Again, in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. And that's what Hebrews 4 and verse 12 is bringing out. The word of, of, of the Lord, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul. See? Soul, self-consciousness, I failed. I, I failed. I hate it. I groan. I hate it. But he separates that and brings us into spiritual God-consciousness. Here's the light. This is who you are. You're not your sin. You're not your failures. It's no more I that do it in Romans 7, 17, and 20, but sin that dwells in me. It's no longer I. So this is what it's bringing out. I had a little time again. I don't know how long it was this morning. I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or more uh, with Mike uh, this morning and uh, just going over some of these things uh, with him. But here, and even in Romans the 8th chapter, and you're going to see groaning, and we'll, we'll get into, I, I hopefully, during the week, we'll get into a lot of this in detail with those Hebrew words and those Greek words because they're loaded with, with so much understanding of the nature and character and essence of God manifested through Christ as, our, as the revelation uh, to us. But here, even in Romans 8, in Romans the 8th chapter, and I love these verses here. In Romans 8, it says, in verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. That word with there is, is a beautiful word because the word with there, when it says that, is bringing out in terms of Christ and his humanity, not so much in his deity, because remember in John 1, 1, in the beginning, this is God bringing us back to eternity. How else is he going to explain it to us? The Word. And then it says the Word with God. And that word with there is P-R-O-S, pros. And it means the most affectionate, deep exchange of a love life that nothing could disturb or distract. 
You can't. Because to do so, if you could, you would have to separate God from his very nature. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And can anyone or anything separate who God is and the fullness of who he is? He can't. But then we see in John 1 and verse 14, the word now was made flesh and dwelt among us. We and dwelt among us. And that's what this with Christ is. See, so, because for all eternity, you and I, when we're in his presence, are going to learn what that word with meant. Individually, in Revelations 2 and verse 17, and corporately with an amazing amount of fellowship as a whole. But everything that God did for us through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, he did so individually each one of us. That's brought out, yes, we're the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and 13, but we're made, the body's made up of many members in particular in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You know what that means? That God has designed each of us particularly and has dealt with each of our particular groanings and sufferings. <laughs> so amazing. And dealt with all those things that we groan about in terms of failure and sin, but leading us through his grace and truth by the power of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, and 14 takes those things of Christ and he shows them unto us. And as he's showing them unto us, that's the light that dawns in us in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19. And showing us, keep hungering, because I'm going to fill you. Keep hungering because I'm going to fill you. Because then there's going to come a time when you're going to be, when you go home to be with me and to be with me face to face. There'll be no more groanings or sufferings. That's Revelations 21 and verse 4. There'll be no more pain, no more crying, no more death, no more sorrow, for the former things have passed away. And write these, and God has, wants these words to be written in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We'll take it and write it on our hearts and our understanding and in our minds that these things are faithful and true. He's true and faithful, Revelations 21, 5 and Revelations 22 and verse 6. And we will then not stop receiving the fullness of that word with this love exchange, this love life exchange. We will have it and grow in it in Ephesians 3 and verse 19 for all eternity, but without disturbance or distraction. <laughs> Oh boy, individually, and then all together <laughs> in the most incredible way. And that's what it means here in Romans 8, verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, of God, what we have is of God, we're not the source, but he is. And then joint heirs, and that's oneness, joined with him. That was Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, 11, 20 and 21 that they may be one, even as we are one. Can God be separated in his nature, character, and essence from who he is? Nothing could ever do that. Nothing could ever separate him. And neither can we be now that we're with Christ. <laughs> we are with him in the most intimate love life exchange. With Christ, if so be that we suffer with him. And there's the groaning and sighing and suffering. Yes, but it's teaching us. Even the groanings of what our sin did is going to teach us and bring us to a place to hunger for him who dealt with them and who did away. Now, does God ever give us grace to live in sin? 
Of course not in Romans 6, 1 and 15. In Romans 3, verse 8, should I sin, should I, should I do evil that good may abound? Of course not. Never. That never happens. And that's always teaching us. I love you and I want to fellowship with you, but I can't allow my love to flow through grace when you're living in sin because the, because the flesh has settled hatred feelings towards God. Don't want anything to do with him in Romans 8, verse 7. Now, two things can happen even in, in, in when we sin and when we fail. Now, we know in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, his love, what? Never, never fails. Joshua 1, 5 also. He will never, no, never, no, never, ever leave us nor forsake us in Hebrews 13, 5, even when we're groaning about sin. Now, Numbers 32, 23 says, your sin will find you out. Now, that's when we refuse grace, when we refuse to submit, when we resist his love that flows through his grace. When we do that, then he has to allow, in Jeremiah 2 and verse 19, our own backslidings to correct us. And then in Numbers 32, 23, what is our, our sin finds us out? What does it find out about us? Us that are in Christ. I can't do it without him. I got to be brought back again where he has to be everything and be in, and has to have every place in my life because what is my proper place but in Christ? And so this is what it's teaching as we begin to wrap this up this morning. If so be that we suffer with him. Now, each of us have been given as our portion to suffer. Notice we are to suffer with him. And what does that mean? And this is what Philippians, the first chapter, is going to teach us in these verses. This is Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And this is what he wants to make clear to us. Even his prophecy and the terrifying reality of the world system that's filled with violence in Genesis 6, verse 11, filled with violence in, in Matthew 24 and verse 37, and prophecy, the evil, coming to its full fruition to be dealt with by Christ, ultimately, in Revelations, the 19th chapter. But we're in the midst of that, and that can cause gro gro groaning also. We can groan for others in, in the way that they suffer. That enters into us and can enter into a prayer life for us, for them. That goes into Philippians 4 and verse uh, 6 and 7 so that we can maintain the peace that Christ is in us in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. But here it says this, and this, and one, and Philippians 1, 28, and in nothing, terrified. Where's all the terror? Is it in who we are in Christ? No. Is it the evil of prophecy coming to full fruition? Yes. But in nothing, nothing terrified by your adversaries. Now we know the devil is the cause of all evil groaning and suffering. He is. In John 8 verse 44. There's no question about it. He's a murderer from the beginning. And note, he didn't abide in truth and there is no truth in him. He's the father of all lies. And then those lies are experienced through all these lusts patterns that can be in the flesh that we're not of in Romans 8, 9, but also in the unsaved world. But in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token and proof and sign of perdition where they're headed. <laughs> they're headed to hell and then to the lake of fire. But to you of what? Of salvation. Now, do we need to be saved again all over again? No, he told Peter that. 
In John 13, 7 to 10, Peter, you don't need your whole body washed. You're already born again, but you certainly need your feet to be cleansed because dirty feet, failure experientially in sin and disobedience can cause a lot of groaning and suffering in us. And that's why he intercedes for us. You know that Jesus, again, in those verses in Romans 8, 34, in Hebrews 7, 25, and in Hebrews 9, and verse 26, he's interceding for us. That means he knows he, he perceives in his anticipative love and his prevenient grace sees ahead of where we're going even before we sin. He starts interceding for us. Then when we sin, he intercedes for us. And then when we come out, he still is interceding for us. That's intercession in its fullness in those particular scriptures. But it's for us, but not afraid, terrified by anything. Is there any fear in love in 1 John 4, 18? No. We are in 1 John 4, 17. We're to have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Because as he is, he, who is he? He took all of our judgment. So are we, judgment-free. So are we in him on this earth. Because love, perfect love, love that's completed everything in propitiation to the Father and becoming a substitute and reconciling us, everything has been dealt with. Love that has perfected everything about you casts out what? Fear. What does fear have? Torment. Torture. Calasis. Torture. Punishment. Groaning. Suffering. And to think how many Christians think still that they're, they're born again and they're in Christ, but that, it, that the God the Father is coming down on them and making them pay for their failures and sins and hearing that evil kind of teaching to cause them to suffer and groan. But here, it says this, but to you, in Philippians 1.28, but to you, all of you, of salvation, that means us in Christ, and that of God. Verse 29, here it is. This is going to answer it in Romans 8.18. In Philippians 1.29, for unto you it is given in the behalf, because of Christ and what he's accomplished, not only to believe in him, constantly depending. See, groaning and failure and sin and groaning and going forward with him in intimacy is always teaching us dependence. We can't do anything without him. Not one single thing. So for you, not only to believe on him, not to resist spoken truth, but to receive it instantly. Remember, obedience is instant. It's not delayed. Delayed obedience is disobedience. I know, but. No, there's no buts with God. He's dealt with every one of them. But also to suffer for his sake. Notice that? Part of our growth is suffering for his sake. Not for sins. Not because we fail in the negative sense, but positive suffering. That's what Paul was teaching. And this is what God wants to teach us too. Groaning the right way and groaning the wrong way here. So we see in Colossians 1, in verse 24, it says, Now rejoice, now, who now, this is Paul speaking to the, to the Colossian church, to that local assembly, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Did you know that a joint that supplies in Ephesians 4 and verse 16 that's in the body of Christ in a local assembly, that we don't only suffer for ourselves, but we suffer for one another and do it to glorify Christ? Yes. And don't we learn in our bad sufferings and in the good ones 
so that we can be a joint that supplies. And we see that clearly here. My sufferings for you and fill up that which was behind of the afflictions of Christ. Meaning, if Christ had never left the earth, and that doesn't even make any sense, of course, but if he never did, all the sufferings would have come to him. But we received him, and we received a great increase. But on our way to see him, there's going to be sufferings because if they hated him without a cause, in Psalm 69 and verse 4, without a cause, without a cause, in 35.19 of Psalm, if they did so without a cause, and if they hated him in John 15, verse 18 first, they're going to hate us, and that's part of suffering and groaning, but a right way. Then what would they do for us? They hated him in John 15.25. There was no cause for them to be hated. Now, us in Christ, functioning in him, is there any cause for anyone to hate us? No, but will the persecuting adversary raise up others to come against us? Of course. But God for us, does it even matter who's against us? In Romans 8, verse 31, and we are more than conquerors. In Romans 8, verse 37, his love has done so. And nothing can ever separate us, as far as God's concerned, nothing can ever separate us from his so great love manifested, revealed, and declared in his Son, and in his Son in us, in us in him, in 2 Corinthians 4, and verse 7, and Colossians 3, and 3, and 4. No, we have that sufferings to be filled up. We all have that. This is what 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 13 and Galatians 6 and verse 9 is bringing out clearly, clearly as the Holy Spirit brings the scriptures and correlates them as the theologian and scholar. This is what he says in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 13 to us. To the end that he may establish your heart, your mind and your emotions, because we have the mind of Christ, it says unblameable in holiness before God. That's how he sees us, positioned in Christ. He sees us in Christ unblameable because all our sins are dealt with. But can we go back to them? And this is where his chastening love in Proverbs 3, 10 and 11, and Hebrews, the 12th chapter, in those 29 verses bring out very clearly, it's his love that does the correcting. And we've been taught here by God through his grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit to what Christ has accomplished, that the first step so many times in our growth in grace is loving chastisement. Loving chastisement. It's not loving, is there such a thing as loving condemnation and accusation? No. Where would we experience condemnation and accusation? It's in the flesh. But is that who we are in? No. We are, the flesh is in us, but we are of Christ in Romans 8, 9. So here it says in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 13, to the end that he may establish, may establish, may strengthen. And so in this strengthening process in Hebrews 12, 25 to 29, there's things that can be shaken. And he's removing the things in us that can be shaken so that the things that can't be remain in us in our thought life. And that's the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 in verse 16, our very foundation. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, our very foundation. In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. That he may establish your minds, your emotions, unblameable in your position, but in your experience too. In holiness before God as you submit in your obedience. Even our Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And so what this is bringing out again is Galatians chapter 6. 
And this is where we'll close this morning. But I do want to get into uh, this uh, throughout the week in detail because it is so amazing. It's so amazing to understand uh, these truths. But in Galatians, the sixth chapter, this is what it says. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. What mocks God? Evil and sin. It's mocking God. Blow him off. I can just, here's an excuse for my sin, or I just excuse it, blow it off. Like going over a little speed bump. Eh, that was nothing. <laughs> God is not, be not deceived. Stop being deceived. Who, who's the, who's the, the source of all deception in Revelations 12, 9? It's Satan. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh, in terms of sin and disobedience, of the flesh will reap what? Corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit, he that sows to the Spirit, remember, God is very very well aware of the secret places of our life. The things that we get involved with, we wouldn't even want anybody to hear of. And those even become excuses for doing and not doing what we know to do and not to do. But he that sows to the Spirit, will of the Spirit reap life eternal in your experience, your position. Let us not be weary in well-doing. That's constant dependence. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Really, it says, let us not be weary in doing good. Well, how do we do good? Where is good located in Exodus 34 and verse 6, Matthew 19 and verse 17, Luke 18 and verse 17 and 18? Good is located in God. He's the source of all good. There's no good in us in the flesh in Romans 7, verse 18. And even how to try to perform that which I know to do good, I find not. That's the flesh, trying to do good in the flesh. And that's Romans 7, 21. And we can sow either. But we learn in the growing of sowing to the flesh. And we learn in the groaning of sowing to the spirit. Because there's labor and growing in that, yes. There is. There is labor and proper groaning. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord as he's working in you in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Knowing that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. It's never without a cause, the cause of his love. And so this is again what it's saying. Don't be weary in in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we faint not. Where do we faint? Where do we give up? Where do we quit mentally? Where do we throw up our hands? (laughs) That's the flesh. And that's why we need to pray. Prayer is teaching dependence. And God can use groaning and suffering to lead us to prayer, to hear his communication. That's Luke 18, 1. And and, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 8, men. And in Romans 12, verse 12. Because the night, in Romans 13, verse 12, in terms of prophecy, the night, and that speaks of prophecy on the earth, his absence. The night is far spent. Boy, we think we might, we think we have more time. The enemy deceives us the most with thinking we have more time to be obedient and do the right things when we don't. Because we don't know it. We don't know the time is shortened at 1 Corinthians 7.29. That's dealing with prophecy on the earth. And it could be our time to go home to be with him face to face. You look at the young people. People of all ages around us going home to be with the Lord. 
going home to be with him. And then others, oh my God, not having him as their salvation. But, verse 10, it says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all. Now, where's good come from? Opposition in Christ who is good. Enters into the experience when I submit. And then it goes out to all. But look what it says. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith, your local assembly. That's what it teaches. That's what, that's what uh, Galatians 6.6 6 is, is teaching. Look it up. What Galatians 6.6 6 is teaching. Look it up. And uh, through 10. When we, have the, when we have opportunity. So we have these groanings and we're going to get into these specific words all through the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and all the way into the New that the whole creation, the whole creation, I will promise you, I think this is the third or fourth close, in my baseball games, sometimes you have more than three strikes and then you're out. <laughs> sometimes I go longer. It's a different ball game. But this is it, what it says. In Romans 8 and verse 18, right? 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, the groanings and that, that associated with it, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us and on us and all around us. For the earnest expectation of the creature, meaning of all of God's creation, I mentioned, mentioned to Mike this morning as God brought these thoughts back, even his creation cries out, there are some that, that you go further out into space and you hear the sound of certain stars. There's a sound. And all of his creation everywhere that you can think of in all eternity, this is what it's teaching. For the earnest expectation of the creature, the whole of God's creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, who is the manifestation? It's Christ. And where is he? In you and I, the sons of God. And you know all of creation's waiting for that? And you and I have a part in that? That's so amazing. Even the stars are crying out. And that's brought out in his creation in Psalm 19, 1 through 6. It speaks a language that can be understood by everyone who's never even had the gospel. There's the creator. There's a creator. And there's creation. And it brings it out deeply and incredibly there. In, in that, the groanings of even his creation. And, and I said to, to Mike this morning, I mean, I don't even like it when, when, when men cry, but the, the ones that get me the most are when women cry <laughs> because they are the weaker vessel in First Peter 3, 6, and 7. They're the weaker vessel. Children, little children, male and female, and innocent animal creation, when they're crying out, it's like I, I, I could almost burst in tears inwardly. I, I'm like, it is so intense for me. It really is. And it's like, oh my God, it's like I almost groan with it and suffer. And that's why in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, we'll see how the body flows, that even when one suffers, we all suffer with them. When they groan, their groaning becomes part of ours and we groan and we pray and and uh, all these things are so brought out beautifully. And Father, thank you so much for the beauty of your word this morning. Your so great love. God so loved the whole world that in answer to that love that gives, he gave the best that he could give. And he gave us individually, each of us, his son to have eternal life, to not only have the son, which is unbelievable, but to have a father and to have the Holy Spirit to have a comforter in heaven, Christ, and a comforter 
on the earth, a, a second comforter in answer to John 14, 16, and 17, answering it by giving us Christ in heaven in intercession, but giving us the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, verse 26, who will comfort us in our groanings. He will comfort us. And I know so many of us have groaned over the loss of a loved one, over missing them, uh, over, over our own personal sins. And we've groaned over the sins of others. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, that we have a comforter who can comfort us. It's God, the Holy Spirit. And he'll take the things of Christ and he'll make that light light us up in the midst of darkness, in the midst of being on this earth, in the midst of evil prophecy coming to fruition until then finally we're with him face to face. Father, thank you and we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name, amen.